Good morning. It's a beautiful fall day, isn't it? We were commenting on the way in how absolutely gorgeous it is today. And you know that we only have one or two days left like this. <laughs> so we uh, will take it when we get it. Uh, I was talking with David Wanda a couple, well, I think it was last week, uh, about sermons. And sometimes we get so caught up in, in um, the gospel and salvation that we forget about the other things that are in the Bible, even some of our basic uh, doctrines from the Bible. And um, some things came up this week that made me decide to speak on the Sabbath, which is a pretty basic doctrine to the Bible anyway. Um, there are things that Satan is doing that are very interesting today. But to start, I just wanted to say that Satan is a cagey little devil, isn't he? And, you know, I was thinking about that, and as my mind turns, I thought, you know, there's one thing that Satan can never say. He can never say, the devil made me do it. What does Satan want more than anything else in the world? He wants worship. He wants to be like God. And that means that he has to try to get people to worship him or something he has created to get that to happen. Of course, that's not hard for him to deceive people, is it? Because... He came up with the original idea of sin in the first place. And so he knows how to bend things just properly without people realizing to get them to do his way. Revelation 13 is a chapter that tells about the activities and the, re and the things that are going to happen at the very end of the world. The last day battle in the world, and you know, it uses the word worship three times in that chapter. The last battle is going to be a battle over worship. How? Revelation in total uses that word 15 times. So it's obviously a prominent theme in the book of Revelation. It's an important issue for end times, which is what we are in, I believe. Now, there's a lot of ways to worship, but if you think of them, they usually all involve a certain time and place. Much of the Christian world has chosen Sunday, while the Muslim world has chosen Friday. Be nice if they'd meet right in the middle, wouldn't it? I want you to turn with me to Exodus 20. We all know exactly where that's going, don't we? Exodus 20, and we're just going to read the Sabbath commandment, verses 8 to 10, or 8 to 11, excuse me. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? Th that we've chosen? It's the Sabbath of the Lord, our God. In it thou shalt not do any work, 
And then it goes on to mention your son, your daughter, your manservant, and your uh, animals and so on. But it really ties everything together in verse 11 of the reason why we are to worship on Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that in, in them is. And he rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So why do we worship on the seventh day? We do it because he is the creator of everything. We acknowledge who God is when we worship on his day, not our day, on his day. As we were just talking about Satan, if when we worship on the seventh day we are acknowledging God as our leader and as our savior, for Satan to have people worship him, what would he also have to do? He would have to, wouldn't he not, create a day where people even unknowingly would worship something different from what God said. And so this is how Satan works. Um, when God made the world in Exodus 2, he made everything in its proper day, and he came up to the seventh day, and he made a special day for a couple things. One of them is for communion, obviously, because it's his day that he wants us to commune with him. But also, he knows our bodies since he made us, and he knows that we need time away, <clears throat> not only physically, but emotionally, to rest. Uh, I've just been uh, thinking about that. I was talking with one of the girls in my office, and she was saying, you know, my husband has aged tremendously over the last five years. And I got to thinking about it, and, you know, Sue, I think, knows who I'm talking about. He's worked 60 to 70 hours a week for the past five, ten years. Never a time to, to rest, to just relax a little bit. And God knew that. He knew that our bodies, the way we would live life, would just be go, 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 go. And it's gotten worse as time has gone on in history. And we need time to, to recharge our batteries, to let our, batter, our bodies uh, rest and get back to how they should be and not have that, that pace. And so as he made that day, it was a day to, uh, to relax, to worship him, and to rest. You'll notice it was on the seventh day. Now, you may say, okay, so what? There's something that's come up in the world in the last not too many years that is going to show you that even that Satan is changing. But um, I want to go on a little more, and we'll come back to that later. Will the Sabbath be challenged by Satan? We know it will be. And why would it be? The seal of God is in that commandment, isn't it? In the fourth commandment. It tells who he is, 
what his job is, what his name is, and the people who he governs over. That's just like any other seal that we have, the presidential seal or whatever. It, it always tells the name of the person, his office, and the reason for doing what he, what he tells us to do, like the president. So if Satan can get people to look away from that commandment, they'll forget who God is. They'll forget he's the creator. They'll forget that we need to give homage to him. And there are three ways that he has chosen to do this. Uh, one is given very clearly in the Bible. One is um, a choice of someone to go away from what the Bible has said, uh, back away in history. And the third one is something that has happened fairly recently. And we'll just discuss two of those three very, very quickly here. I want you to go with me in uh, your Bibles to um, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 says, and this is talking about the little horn, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. Now, what are those words? What do they mean? If you look up the word times in Strong's Concordance, it means an appointed occasion. It's not the same word that's used in Daniel other times to mean years. Okay, it's a different word. And it means an appointed occasion a specific occasion or time. And laws, well, there could be human laws and there could be God's laws. So which is he trying to change? And if you look over the context of Daniel 7, you'll find out that this little horn power is trying to kill God's saints. He's speaking great words against God, trying to change God's law. So think to yourself, in the Ten Commandments, what commandment has to do with an appointed occasion of time? It's only one, isn't it? It's only the Sabbath. So we ask ourselves then, as we go through and figure out who the little horn is, has there been an attempt by the church to change God's law in relation to this appointed occasion? And I think any of you who have gone through prophecy studies have gone over this, but it's just good to remind ourselves that Satan is at work in all the world to try to get people to forget to worship on God's day. I'm going to read four um, quotes, and it's pretty clear uh, what has happened. Point A, this is from the Prompta Bibliotheca. The Pope is so, of so great authority and power that he can modify, explain, or interpret even divine laws. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God, and he sits as the vice-regent of God on earth. So that means he believes he can change any of God's commandments at any time. B, this comes from the History of the Christian Church by Somerville. It is the Roman Church who reversed the fourth commandment by doing away with the Sabbath of God's word 
and instituting Sunday as a holiday. Third one. Had she not the power, she could not have done that which all of modern religious agree with. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. That's from Bishop Keenan in a doctrinal catechism. And the last one is by Cardinal Gibbons, Faith of Our Fathers. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we will never sanctify. So it's pretty clear that something has happened in uh, the religious world, even in Christianity, to cause the change away from God's day of worship. The second change occurred from the 6th century when the prophet Muhammad decided that his holy day was going to be on Friday. And so now there are millions and millions and millions of people in the world who are worshiping on Friday, whether they know anything about the true Sabbath day or not. So Satan has done a pretty good job, I think, by causing much of the world to be diverted away from his special day of worship. But recently, I've come to an understanding that there are other uh, things happening that also get us away from Sabbath worship. Uh, as you know, I write an article in the Wisconsin Christian News, and I had a response from one of those articles probably six months ago, five months ago. And he sent me a little book. And in this book, it was uh, on his belief that the Sabbath is not Saturday Sabbath. It's just the seventh day. And it depends on when you start that cycle of seven days. And I'll get into it a little more as we go. But what's even more interesting is that I got a letter from a former acquaintance that used to live in this area. Some of you may know her. And uh, she basically had read one of the articles this last month. She was up here visiting or something, lives in Florida. And she basically said the same thing. And I kind of said, hmm, that's interesting. It's maybe bigger than what I thought was happening. And so let me just describe a little bit of um, what they're talking about. I'm going to read to you, if I can find it, from this little pamphlet that was sent to me, and it's called Israel's Calendar and the True Sabbath. And this is what they base it all on. They go to Leviticus 23 when it talks about the first feast of the religious new year. Of You know that the Jews had two New Year's days, you might say. They had their regular civil calendar that started in the fall, what we now know is probably September, October. That's when their civil year started. But they also had a religious year that started in the spring, in April. And in the very first feast in, in Leviticus, it says, on the 15th day of the same month, Abib, is the feast of unleavened bread. In the first day of the feast, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. 
And in the 11th verse, it says, on the morrow after the Sabbath, which is the next day after that first day of the feast. And so they say, see, the first day of the feast is the Sabbath. That's the 15th. And so the 7th and the 1st and the 22nd and the 29th also has to be a Sabbath. And so they take all of their Sabbaths as those ceremonial Sabbaths that happened only on a couple of the different feasts. And so what they're in essence doing is taking the seventh-day Sabbath, lumping it together with all the ceremonial Sabbaths, and saying they are date Sabbaths, like the 15th of the first month. That's a Sabbath. So every Sabbath after that goes on that date from the beginning one. And... uh So you can see how very clearly then that does away with the weekly cycle starting in creation. And uh, some of their arguments are kind of interesting. They go back to Genesis 2 and they say, it never mentions the word week in Genesis. And if you look at your Bible, the word week isn't mentioned there. Does that matter? Is the concept of the week in Genesis 2 there? Yes, it is. And in fact, if you go back uh, to that original seven-week period, in Exodus 20, which is maybe 2,000 years later, God came back, gave the same seven-day period to Israel with the seventh day of that period being the Sabbath. And so from there on, the Jews, who are very, very scrupulous in keeping track of records and keeping track of genealogies and all those things, always have stayed with that schedule. So you get to the time of Christ, and has it changed? Has something suddenly changed, and it's no longer that same seven-day weekly cycle? I want you to turn with me to Luke, and I think it's Luke uh, 15. The story of the uh, crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, it's not Luke 15. It's uh, Luke 23. Luke 23 says, uh, in starting in verse um, 50, Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just man. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of the Sanhedrin when they uh, uh, decided to crucify Christ. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherever no man was laid before. That day was what? That day was the preparation day. Did you know that in Israel there was no names for the, for the days, for the weekdays? Okay, there was no, no names. In fact, what they were called was the first of the Sabbath. That was the first day of the week. It was called the first of the Sabbath. And then the next day was called the second of the Sabbath and the third of the Sabbath and so on. And so even though they were named 
everybody knew what the weekly cycle was, the seven days. And it wasn't until the sixth day that it really had, even though it wasn't named this, they knew what you were talking about when you said preparation day. Because that was the day before the Sabbath that you prepared for the Sabbath, based on the story of the manna in the Old Testament when, when they were supposed to go out and take two times as much manna because they were preparing for the Sabbath. So we know that Friday, when Christ was born, was the preparation day. And then what does it say? And the Sabbath drew on. So the next day, after the preparation day, the day when all of Christianity knows Christ was crucified, is a Friday, the next day is called the Sabbath. And then, starting in chapter 24, the next day is called what? The first day of the week. So it's fairly clear that the weekly cycle from creation, given again to the Jews at Mount Sinai, as talked about in the New Testament regarding Jesus' death and resurrection, the weekly seven-day cycle has always stayed the same. It has never changed. One of the things about the French Revolution that made it so interesting is that they tried to change the week. They tried to go to a 10-day week, and it did not work. Threw everybody off completely. So when they got back to normalcy after the French Revolution, if it was normal, they went back to a seven-day week. It's God's week. One of the points that they made in this booklet was that the days of the week now are named after heathen gods, and so we shouldn't worship on any of them. Just because some heathens named the days of the week when they you know, were lords over the Jews doesn't mean that the seven-day cycle is still not there according to God. And in fact, if you go to um, the names of the days of today, it's kind of interesting, and it's a combination of Roman gods and of Germanic drives. Uh, gods, because most of us, or a lot of us in uh, Western culture, came from the Germanic tribes, didn't we, from, from Europe. First day was called, what? Sunday, worship of the sun. This is from the Romans. Second day was called moon day, where we get Monday, because it was to the moon gods. The third uh, day of the week was called, I um, can't even read my own writing, T-I-U, and that's the god of the Germanic tribes, Tu. So what would it be called? Tu's day. Then the fourth day was called by the uh, Romans Mercury, but by the Germans it was called, for their god, Woden. So that's Wednesday, Woden's day. Fifth day was by the Romans to Jove, but by the Germanic tribes, Thor. Thus, Thor's day. Okay? And then the sixth day in Rome was to Venus, and in Germanic tribes, Freya. So, Friday. So, all the names came about because of the Germanic and the uh, Roman gods, but that still doesn't mean that the seven-day daily cycle was not still there. 
And what's interesting is that even in um, uh, most of the languages of today, which all are derived, many of them, in, in the European uh, sense anyway, from the Romance languages, what is the day for Sabbath, for Saturday? In almost all languages, it has something like Sabbath, Sabado, and so on. So even those languages remind us of what the seventh day is. In reading this little book, and this was written in the 1950s, he teaches that there are really three different Sabbaths that have been kept in history. There's the patriarchal Sabbath that was given at creation and that most of the patriarchs followed. And he even goes to say, but there's still no evidence that that was on Saturday. That was on, you know. But we've just kind of proved that the same Sabbath of creation that was the same Sabbath at Sinai is the same Sabbath at Christ Day. So it's never changed. And then the second Sabbath was the Hebrew Sabbath. And he then goes on to quote what we just told you about, about the ceremonial Sabbath being mixed in as the same as the Seventh-day Sabbath. And so they're dates. They're not the seventh day of every week. They're just dates in the year. However, when you're trying to talk with him on this point, there's three things you can bring up. One of them is no one in the Bible, even after Christ's death, kept the first day holy. Catholics even agree that the Bible teaches that Saturday is the seventh day. And if Sunday is the new Christian holy day, why in Isaiah 66, Christians who have been saved in the new earth are going to be keeping Saturday, the seventh day? So the major mistake is that he's taking the seventh day Sabbath and God's Ten Commandment law and trying to mix them up with the ceremonial Sabbath. I want you to take your bulletin and take the little insert that was in the bulletin. Some of you may not have it. You ought to share with somebody next to you. Just want you to look at this and be reminded again of the difference between the seventh-day Sabbath and the ceremonial Sabbath. Number one that you can see right off the bat, and it's not number one on this list, but in the list of thinking about it, the Ten Commandments was written on stone. What does that tell you? If we say today in our language, something is written in stone, what does that mean? It means it's not going to change. It's there. Because stone is pretty hard to do away with. The ceremonial precepts, which include a few ceremonial Sabbaths that they had in a few of the feasts, were written on paper. Paper is pretty easy to be done away with, isn't it? It's here one day, gone the next. It was spoken by God himself, the Ten Commandments Sabbath was, spoken by God himself and written with God's own finger. Only that, only the Seventh-day Sabbath had that done. The ceremonial Sabbaths were not spoken by God to the people as a whole, 
They were given to Moses. Moses wrote them down on the scrolls as God told him to do. And then they were put where? Were they put into the ark along with the Ten Commandments? No, they weren't. They were put outside of the Ten Commandments, showing that they were secondary. They were not the Seventh-day Sabbath. You notice on the list that the seven, uh, the, the uh, Ten Commandments Seventh Day is called the Royal Law, the Law of Liberty in James, but in several other places, even in the New Testament, the ceremonial laws are called ordinances. And we kind of think about that in the way that, you know, we have a federal law, and it supersedes everything, doesn't it? But then each town has its local what? Ordinances. They are underneath the federal law, and they're meant only for a specific portion of society, in other words, the people who live in that little town or city. And that's the difference between the Ten Commandments Seventh Day and the ceremonial Sabbaths. Down a little ways on the list, the Ten Commandment precepts existed before sin. In fact, they are what defines sin. Even the Sabbath commandment, they define what sin is. The ceremonial Sabbaths came about as a result of sin. They were part of what God gave in a um, play, you might say, to remind people of what sin is, what the result of sin is going to be, and how to get back to where we are sinless. It was all given simply for the reason of helping to reveal the remedy for sin. The Ten Commandments are called complete, perfect, holy, just, and good. And in Ephesians and Colossians, the ceremonial law is to be done away with because it only was to look to Christ. And the Ten Commandments, the moral precepts, they are eternally established by the gospel. And the other ones, as we've already said, are temporarily temporary, and they were abolished at the cross. So you can see that Satan, as we said before, is a cagey little devil. He has done everything possible to move people one way or the other. It doesn't really matter to him. If somebody wanted to keep Tuesday, that's fine with him too. He doesn't care as long as it's not on God's day. Because if you worship on God's day, who are you saying you are? You are a follower of Jehovah God. You have said to Satan, no, I'm not going to follow you because I know that you will lie and deceive and do everything possible to try to take people away from worshiping the creator of the universe. So as you read and as you talk to people, if you meet people who are doing exactly that, be sure to have studied enough on your Bible to know how to meet those questions and know how to answer to them why you keep the seventh day, God's holy day. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we know that Satan's biggest desire is to have worship from the world. And he will do anything he can to cause that to happen. 
even though much of the world may not even realize that they are following him. We're thankful that you have given us your holy word, where we can read with our own eyes and listen with our own ears exactly how you have set it up and exactly how you have asked us to worship and the benefits that you will give to us because of following you. Continue to give us opportunity to help many others discover what you have asked us to do and continue to be with us each day as we witness for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we leave this place, our Father, we ask that you may protect and bless us. Guide us in the coming week that we may draw closer to thee and that we may have opportunity to witness for your truth as you have given it to us in your holy word. We ask in your name. Amen.